you would turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 55. It's on page 615. I told the first service, this happens sometimes. Things happen that catch us by surprise a little bit. But God is with us. Pastor Wilson is sick. Please pray for him that he would be healed up and restored to us quickly. So this morning, uh, we are going to take a turn to Isaiah 55. And to, uh, to let you know, just right up front, yes, I went back and found an old sermon that I preached a long time ago. Actually, before I was here. So it's, it's, it's the younger version of me that preached this sermon once upon a time. So, but uh, it was a joy to look at this passage again and to, uh, and to come and preach this morning. So I'm thankful uh, for this opportunity and for the good news that we have before us in Isaiah 55. So if you want to turn there with me, page 615 of the Bibles that are in the, the seats with you. And we will jump into what God has for us this day. So this is Isaiah 55, and this is the word of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, now we ask that you would work in our hearts by your spirit, that we would be reminded of the good news of the gospel in Christ, 
our Savior, that we would once again be moved to trust You, to love You, to follow You, and that we this day would rest in the salvation that You have accomplished for us in Christ. And we pray these things in His name. Amen. We love free stuff, don't we? The economists say there's no such thing as a free lunch, but that doesn't stop us, does it? I have in my inbox right now 27 emails from Domino's Pizza, and they are saying free tater tots. I haven't tried those yet. But one thing they, they keep saying I have is a free emergency pizza. Okay, so I don't know what would qualify as an emergency for pizza, but if it's free, I'm here for it. My closet at home is full of free t-shirts, many from the days of Clemson University, uh, many from all my lifetime of being in the PCA and all the different organizations that give out their free stuff and free t-shirts. We all love free stuff, don't we? Yet for all our love of free stuff, sometimes we struggle with the concept of free. Sometimes there's a part of us that wants to do something to contribute or earn that which is being offered to us for free. So let's take, for instance, Domino's Pizza. I'm pretty sure that free emergency pizza was qualified for by several purchases for the Cornerstone Presbyterian Church Youth Group. So we had a part in it, didn't we? We've also mentioned this scenario before, that when someone invites you to dinner to their home, the the question you ask is, hey, what what can I bring? What can I bring, right? And they say, oh, nothing. And you say, no, 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 really. What can I bring? Because we all want to bring something to the table. We struggle with this concept sometimes of receiving something for free, even when it comes to our relationship with God. In some ways, we want to earn it, or in the very least, contribute to it, or maybe even add to it, enhance it in some way. Yet when it comes to our relationship with God, what we were going to bring isn't going to cut it. Our best efforts are not going to get us into fellowship with God. Our own attempts at righteousness are going to fall short of what is necessary to draw near to God. But Isaiah has good news for us. He reminds us here with a sense of urgency that we have a gracious God who longs to give us salvation and blessings that are free. You don't have to bring the fruit salad. There's no attempts to fumble around in your wallet to try to contribute money to cover the cost. It is completely free. The picture that we have in this passage is of God hosting a feast. And the invitation with your name on it has been sent to you. And so we want to ask this question this morning. What is required of us to come to this feast? And the first question, the first thing we see here to answer that question is that we have to recognize our inability to come. We have to recognize our inability to even be at the feast. The invitation is clear here, as it says many times in the first few verses. It says, come. If uh, I was titling this sermon, you know, I didn't get a chance to do that for the bulletin, 
um, you know, with the situation. But I would have called this sermon, Y'all Come. That we see it all over this passage. Come, you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here it is, it's the free offer. And all it requires is that you come. As we look at this, we see who this is addressed to. It's to people who are thirsty. It's to people who do not have the money to buy what will be served at the feast. When we think about these, these needs physically, we say, well, if you're thirsty, go get some water, right? If your pockets are empty, go find an ATM. But the message we have here from Isaiah is that spiritually speaking, we are thirsty and we don't have it in us that which would quench our thirst. We are without money and there's no bank account from which we can draw. And on top of that, as we see in verse 2 here, there's nothing else in this world that can quench the thirst or satisfy the hunger that we have. We come with nothing. We come empty-handed. The hymn of Rock of Ages says it so well, that nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And God's Word teaches us that we are sinful, but also it teaches us that we are unable to bring anything to the table in regards to our own righteousness. That we must not only turn from our sin, but we must repent of our own self-righteousness and accept God's gracious gift of righteousness, His righteousness, given to us to be received by faith. But isn't this passage wonderful? It really, it really is free. God says, come empty-handed, and I will take care of the feast, he says. I will pour out salvation and blessings upon you. He gives us here three pictures of his blessings. The first is the refreshing picture of water. God's blessings overflowing to his people. You might can get a glimpse of that uh, maybe uh, last night or in the next day or two, all the rain we're getting. And you go out to your gutters and just see it, just watch it overflow. And that's, that's the picture of God just raining his blessings upon us, his blessings overflowing to his people. The second is the picture of wine, which represents celebration and joy. The third is the picture of milk, representing nourishment, that God will provide everything we need to satisfy us. But there's more to this feast. We've been invited to experience the blessings of God. We're rescued from our sins and our inability to save ourselves. And these are wonderful things to rejoice in. But here's the kicker. Look at verse 3. We're actually invited to come and to draw near to the Lord himself. Incline your ear, he says, and come to me. See, ultimately, the Lord himself, he is the feast. The water, the wine, the milk, they're, they're pictures of his blessings. But the reality is that we get all of the blessings and the salvation, but we also get God. And we get to be in his presence. And it's free. And so why is it hard for me maybe for us sometimes to believe that. Sometimes I think we uh, will respond to the good news of the gospel, the free offer of salvation, 
uh, sometimes in one of two ways. One is that we might dismiss in some way our total depravity or our total inability. We really want to bring something to the table, right? We've got to have something to get us right with God or perhaps keep us right with God. And when we have that response, what we're doing is we're missing the boat a little bit. Because later in Isaiah, uh, there's, a, there's a verse in Isaiah 64 where it talks about even our best stuff, right? Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. Unless He does something, right? In and of ourselves, our, even our best stuff is filthy rags. We want to bring something to the table, but we can't, right? Because God is holy and perfect. The other response that we might have on the other end of things is that we might look our inability and sinful depravity in the face and go, there's no way that God can love me. I'm too far gone. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said, what I've thought. You know, the time that I, that I messed up bigger than you know. There's no way that God could possibly love me. If that's our response, we're, we're missing the boat again. This time we're missing how big His mercy and grace really is. We consider this, this passage this morning the invitation to receive salvation, to come to the feast, it has been delivered to your address. And this is an act of God's grace. And so, when we consider both of these responses, we have to recognize we can't bring anything to the table. God is holy and perfect, and we don't have it in us. But He has made a way. We also have to recognize... If if, we, if we're seeing our sin and we're owning it and we start thinking, well, I, it's just too much. The answer is no, it's not too much. And that God has accomplished everything necessary to bring you to, to the feast. And so the invitation has come and we're to, to, by faith, we're to come, right? And we're to come with thanksgiving and rejoicing because of what He's done for us. When the economists say there's no, no such thing as a free lunch, they're right. Everything has its cost. Our salvation has a cost as well. There is a price. The water, the wine, the milk, it, it comes at a cost. But the cost is not ours to pay. It's been paid for in full by our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll sing uh, during communion, Jesus paid it all. And just that reminder that everything necessary for us to come to the feast has been paid for by Christ. So the first point is that we have to recognize our inability. And the second point, we have to rest in God's ability to do what we are unable to do. So sometimes we, we might wonder if this is all too good to be true. If it's free, will there be a point in time where it's not free? Will the supply of food and drink run out? Will I get kicked out of the banquet at some point? 
Isaiah here gives reassurance that everything necessary for our presence at the feast will be accomplished by God. That everything necessary for our salvation will be accomplished by God. That everything necessary for us to remain in relationship with God is going to be accomplished by God. And so here he reminds his people and us of his covenant. At the heart of all the covenants in Scripture is the promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. Covenants are they're an act of grace by God. He initiates the covenant. He accomplishes what is necessary for the covenant to be fulfilled. In this particular case, God is reminding them of the covenant with David. We see that in verse 3. That he is the one who will continue to establish the throne of David and ultimately fulfill it by Christ coming into our world as our king through the line of David. And here God tells us this is a sure thing because it's based completely on what he is going to do and not on us. It's rooted in his faithful, steadfast love for his people. He pursues them despite their continued faithlessness. He even tells us as the passage goes on, this is an everlasting covenant. There's no expiration date to it. Think for a second about the, in the Old Testament that God, he continues to establish and reestablish his covenant with a people, Israel, that on a regular basis, break his commandments, try to go worship other gods, and in general, run away from God. And then there's another group of people. We'll just for simplicity say collectively call them Gentiles. And they want nothing whatsoever to do with God. They want to spend time at war with his people. They've opposed God in every way. And here in this passage, we find out that God is going to invite them to the feast also. Look at verse 5. Behold, You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. It's as if in the Old Testament, as you go through, you'll see times where the the door is cracked for the Gentiles. Uh, For example, let's take Ruth uh, from Moab. She's welcomed in the community of God's people. The door is cracked. We see a glimpse of it. But then, as we look at this passage, and we read a verse like verse 5, it seems like the door is about to be flung completely wide open. Because the king is going to come. The Holy One of Israel, the Messiah, he is going to come and establish his kingdom. And he's going to bring together his people from all nations and all places, even the Gentiles. And he will establish a new covenant with them. But covenants also come at a cost. You see, the feast is free for us, but there is a cost that must be paid. And that cost is paid by the king, the suffering servant, the Messiah, who takes the punishment that our sins deserve and is wounded so that we are healed. I want you to flip back with me a couple of pages in your Bible there to Isaiah 53. And hear this, it says, who, verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there it is that Christ has taken all of it, all of our sin, the punishment that was due to our sin. It has been put upon Christ, and he has paid the cost for our sins. So that salvation is a free gift, that Christ came to live and to fulfill the law and to live righteously and perfectly. And he came to die upon the cross for our sins so that we would be forgiven of those sins, that we would be fully pardoned. And Christ has accomplished all this necessary in his life and death and resurrection for our presence at the feast to be secure. And so we come, we, we recognize our inability, we, we come thirsty, we come with empty hands to the feast. We also rest in his ability that Christ has accomplished everything needed. He has paid the cost so that we can receive salvation and come to the feast. And then finally, thirdly, we, in order to come, we must repent of our sin and run to the Lord and return to Him. Verses 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let Him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Once again, having been reassured of Christ securing everything necessary for us to come to the feast, knowing the blessings of salvation, the call goes out again here to seek the Lord, to repent of our sin and to run to him. The response to God's gracious invitation to us is that we would repent, that we would continually forsake all other fountains where we might seek water, that we would turn from any other way that we might be going, that we would turn aside from our own thoughts and plans that are contrary to his, and that we would run to him. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Our God calls us to seek him while he is to be found. To call upon him while he is near. He awaits us with compassion. He stands ready to abundantly pardon. The judgment for your sins has been put upon Christ who paid the cost with his body broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins for you to be pardoned, for you to go free and return to God. There's urgency here for Isaiah at this point. We're assured of the everlasting covenant. We know that everything necessary for our presence at the feast has been accomplished. But he says the time to seek the Lord is now. That now is time to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. 
There's an old uh, Lutheran commentator, uh, last name Leopold, who said this about this passage. He said, When gracious invitations are addressed to any body of people, the hour of grace has struck. And so for us people with our iPhones and fancy watches and stuff, that's a reference to the clock, okay? That the hour of grace has struck. What he's saying is, now's the time. That this is the time to respond. This is the time to seek the Lord while He may be found, to call upon Him while He is near. The invitations have gone out. Isaiah speaks of God sending out His Word and that He will accomplish His purpose through His Word going out. And that ultimately, there will be joy and peace in all creation and us singing because the Lord is with His people and because He has made the way and He has brought us to the feast. We have a feast before us this morning in this table. We partake of a feast that brings nourishment to our soul in the present where we see the visible sign of Christ's body broken in the bread, His blood shed in the cup, so that our place of the feast would be secure. As we come to the table, we look back. We remember what Christ has accomplished for us. His life, His death upon the cross, His suffering, His resurrection. We remember, we proclaim, and we also look forward to the feast of endless joy that's before us in the new heavens and new earth where He will be our God and we will be His people and we will be with Him forever. And all creation will sing and shout, and us too, because of all that the Lord has done. So this morning, come. It's free. It's paid for in full. Let's come and celebrate all that Christ has done for us. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now that You would seal Your Word upon our hearts, that You would, again, help us to run to the cross, to see Christ who gave Himself for us. And pray that Your Spirit would work in us that which is good and pleasing in Your sight, that You would grow us in our love for You and for others. And that you would remind us this day of the, the feast that awaits us in glory as we look forward to that with great anticipation. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.